Welcome to this Footprint podcast focused on policy and sustainability in education catering, kindly supported by Corn, Assist FM and Green Gourmet. Uh, my name is Amy Fetzer, Head of Research and Analysis at Footprint Intelligence, supporting our young people and ensuring they have access to good nutrition to enable them to achieve their potential is vital. COVID turned the world upside down, and today our panel of catering and education experts from Sodexo, Hands on Hungry, Corn, Chartwells and Bremner Consulting will discuss how we can harness the current climate to push for new and more effective policies for caterers, suppliers, children and young people, to ensure the viability of school catering, to support sustainable practices and the levelling up agenda. If you're new to Footprint, Footprint is the leading community of sustainability leaders in the drink and food industry, providing knowledge, insights and practical support through our forums, research awards, conferences and consultancy, all supported through our media channels. Uh, Let me start by setting the scene. So barely a day goes by without another worrying headline about children and young people, from issues relating to their mental health to their weights and diets. Our research, Sustainable Success in the New Normal, highlighted the key role education catering plays in society to give children and young people brighter futures. First, of course, by providing really vital nutrition that they need to survive and thrive in the school environment, but also by creating warm and supportive food environments that give them skills for life. COVID dramatically highlighted this key role uh, that catering catering plays in the education sector. Suddenly, the nation realised how important the daily meal was to many children and young people and how much they suffered when it was taken away. Uh, Catering in the education sector also makes up 43% of the out-of-home sector, so it's also hugely significant to local and national economies. Um, One of the people that we interviewed for the research, Neve Sweeney, who's a teacher and executive member of the National Educational Union, summarised it really well when she said, we need to go back to the stance that food is important in education. It teaches social skills, sharing, communication and nutrition for a healthy life. The purpose of education is to enable students to become good citizens who can contribute to society, not just pass an exam. And good food and an understanding of nutrition is crucial to this. So we're going to talk a little about how policy can support um, this shift. And um, at first, I'll introduce the panel and then we'll go through and get some insights uh, on what they think about the topics uh, where we are today. So we have the lovely Nikki Joyner, who's the chair of Hands on Hungry from Assist FM, Miles Bremer, the former director of the School Food Plan and the CEO of Bremner Consulting and Senior Associate Consultant from Think. We've got Jeff Campion, for the head of communications from Chartwells, Claire Roper, Head of Marketing and Innovation from Food Service from Corn, and Tom Lasky, the Marketing Director from Sodexo. I wondered if I could start, um, uh, as we go around the panel, if we could ask them to share a key insight about how they think COVID has changed the school food landscape and whether COVID has had a lasting impact on how school food funding is perceived and also supported and how we could use all this momentum and change to influence policy. Miles, um, as former director of the School Food Plan, perhaps it would be useful if you could start. When we spoke before, you talked about the need for one cohesive strategy that was properly funded with clear guidelines, which kind of outlined what we can expect people to do from the commissioning of contractors and suppliers to how things are monitored and managed. You know, it'd be great to get a bit of perspective on whether there's been any progress on this and what you feel, um, you know, is, is, is going on today. Amy, thank you very much. And it's great to be here on this podcast this morning. Um, I think there are four sort of immediate responses that COVID has caused to the school food system. Um, As you said, school food has been on uh, the nation's tongue through this period, whether it's through uh, the heroics of community responses, providing food parcels and schools responding with food vouchers through to the incredible campaigning work uh, from Marcus Rashford through to how the 80,000 strong catering team have responded um, in ensuring that throughout COVID our nation's school children have continued to be fed and I think that that's an incredible uh, operational challenge and, and logistic that we must be reminded of. The second comment I would make is that COVID um, has caused uh, a shocking increase in child obesity rates. And uh, the latest uh, national measurement survey showed that I think there's been a 20% increase in obesity rates of uh, year 
11-year-olds measured. And, that, and that's a real challenge uh, and, and an opportunity for the role of good school food in, in addressing that. I think the third point is that um, coming out of COVID, the current operational challenges that our school caterers face and our schools face is as live as ever. You know, inflationary pressures on food costs, um, wage uh, challenges and utility costs means that the affordability for schools and caterers to provide and continue continue to provide healthy school food is, is going to be a real challenge. And the last point I'd make is that um, COVID and the fact that school food is, you know, has been front and foremost means that people are recognising that changes to the school food system are required and are necessary, whether that's looking at entitlement of school food, how school food contracts are procured and managed, um, how the funding system works, how monitoring and accountability should be delivered, and how to ensure that we can increase uptake of good nutritional meals. Government is responding, and I'm sure we'll come on to some of that conversation uh, later today, but as caterers, we have a real opportunity to um, be involved. Thank you so much, Mars. That's fantastic. Nikki, I, you were saying, uh, Nikki Joyner, the chair of Hands on Hungry from a sister firm, you were saying earlier that even to, you know, today you're using an emergency mem- menu in your schools because of the impacts of COVID are still being felt so uh, acutely. You know, how, what, where, from where you're standing, you know, what do you see, uh, you know, are there any changes, any significant changes in, in policy and, and support for kind of uh, ensuring that you've got the funding that you need and, and the support that you need? Thanks, Amy. Thanks for having me along today. And yet within Scotland, there obviously has been a, an impact with the implementation of universal free school meals for primary one and being extended into primary five currently with the view that sixes and sevens will then be included in um, a free lunch provision and also we have early years currently receiving free lunch so it's a different uh, playing field in Scotland um, so our current situation is that we're just trying to make sure we um, deliver a healthy nutritious lunch to all the children and young people within Scotland um, uh, but what we also have to keep a very close eye on is our children who are entitled free school meals so it may be the fact that all children young people are entitled but it's it's the children who are are from the vulnerable demograph so it's a, a, a very critical for catering services to keep monitor these children to make sure we the the children who are vulnerable are accessing lunch as well and that's that's one of the the key points that all caterers are, are looking at just now um the the, the process that, that each authority is uses to tackle that will be different across Scotland. Um, for instance, within our authority, um, all our children ac- access a lunch through um, an online ordering system. So it's digitally recorded. So we can easily identify who's had the lunch. So if any children are slipping through the net that we think sh- it's very important for, for them, we can then make contact with the school to highlight that there may be a potential issue. Um, we also are within the high school sector have keep an eye on children who are, are that um, the position that they're not entitled to a free school lunch, but they, they're they're struggling financially in the background somewhere for some reason. Um, our head teachers and education department have the autonomy to make decision based on that child's financial situation um, within the family that they can be access a free school meal, and we can so therefore we then they're not in, falling into that category that they're they're not eating properly um, and they don't have access to food because at the end of the day, we want children not to have, suffer from food insecurity. We want them to make sure at all times they can access uh, food and they know where their next meal is coming from. That's uh, that's absolutely fantastic, Nikki. Thank you. Tom, um, what's your view from Sodexo? You know, do you do you notice in, in England that there's uh, that you're being able to work with your school food partners and your heads to identify those children and you're getting the funding that you need and the support to be able to, to provide the meals that those children need? Yeah, I, I think I think just on it in the broader sense, we you know, we, we've seen food 
poverty accelerate massively, haven't we, through COVID? And that's, you know, I think that's just risen up, up everybody's agenda. From from our point of view, I think we're working we're working more closely with schools to look at different feeding models, whether that's delivery, like Nikki said, increasing use of digital to identify where where pupils aren't eating the schools. Um, but also probably um, seeing probably a rekindled interest in food. So where schools are genuinely now more interested in food and more interested in what pupils are eating um, and are alive to the obesity issues. So a lot of the kind of work that we're doing at the moment is, is just going beyond the kitchen door to look at food education and work around that with the schools as well. Because I think, I think it's a, a two-pronged problem, really. We've got a legacy obesity issue, but also there's the, there's the food poverty issue as well. And obviously they're connected, but you know, the solutions in some cases are the same. And how do those, what what kind of shape do those solutions cha- take? So when you're going beyond the kitchen door, are you supporting the school in doing um, lessons or is it more kind of, um, you know, st- you know, you're doing additional kind of learning experiences that you're putting on for them or is it being folded into lessons or what's? It's both really. So we're, we're partnering with the British Nutrition Foundation to, um, to deliver a health and wellbeing programme in the classrooms. Try, trying to avoid the situation of parachuting people in and just doing tokenism. So more looking at upskilling our frontline teams. So they're going through accredited training with the British Nutrition Foundation to help them guide children on the front line around what they might choose to eat, but also build closer link with teachers and the curriculum. I would say my experience is that, you know, kind of food education's definitely fallen down the, the list of priorities. So I guess it's our way of infilling that really and working with schools. So that's something that you're doing, you're funding yourselves rather than being given uh, government support for? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's just part of our social value programme effectively. And Jeff, what about from your perspective at Chartwells? You know, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, are there, is there any different dynamics with your uh, with your schools, you know, you know, are you finding there's a difference in focus um, as a result of COVID and any more, any policy changes? Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting, Tom, to, to hear what you're saying there and com- completely agree with that approach in terms of looking at education caterers, not simply being a sort of transactional lunchtime relationship, but actually looking at how we can work closely with schools and key stakeholders to educate around the food system in its entirety. Um, we've got a team of uh, nutritionists, fantastic. I mean, they're, they're really great people and there's 19 of them and they deliver a Beyond the Chartwell's Kitchen programme. Um, and there's two chefs there as well. And essentially that that is the sort of pro bono, I guess, um, uh, session that they'll go and deliver to schools. So I think we reach 12,000 pupils um, every month, around, around 100 workshops um, and crucially engaging sort of parents as well, looking around five key themes, which is, nutrition, mental and physical well-being, health, food and sustainability. Um, and I think the, the thing that we've sort of unpicked from that is that it has to be a collective approach. You have to engage the parents, um, you have to engage the school and you have to all be working towards this common goal of education and raising awareness around the food system. Um, and if it's just one of those um, one of those bodies pulling in the same direction on, on their own, then you won't actually realise an impact. Um, but I think through that system and through the education, um, and that's split from both primary and secondary, I think that is what that, that can have a material impact on signposting children towards making the right decisions. So I think we did an analysis of 600 schools where, that, where the system ran, and we realised that there was an 8% uptake um, in, in, in school meals over those schools, which I think is like an extra 8,000 meals served per day. So I think through that education piece, you can have a fundamental impact on on making children or empowering children to make the right decisions. When you look at primary schools, obviously it's a much more controlled environment given the nature in which uh, meals are chosen and actually um, how how it's run. But secondary is where there's a real big challenge when children have that opportunity with some schools to, to go outside the gates I mean, I live in Tooting and I find it amazing. My, my, my partner's a, a teacher and I say, how can we have so many fried chicken shops within the same location? And she says a lot of the school kids will go there and that is the trade that's driving it. So it's how do we empower kids to make the right, the right decisions during lunchtime within, within secondary schools is, is where there's a challenge that lies. And I know 
we're trying to do some previous work looking at how we can use sort of marketing techniques and nudge nudge techniques to actually look at how we put certain dishes uh, and, and we market them and we label them and, and we display them in the right way that empowers children. But that's not enough on its own. Um, it's only when you actually work with the schools and you look at how can we talk about this during assemblies, how can we do pop-up events. Um, and, and we've actually ran a sort of trial that again looked at when we were launching Nudge Nudge, which was in sort of East Sussex across 18 secondary schools. And we saw a, a 9% increase in healthy meal options, but it's hard work and it does require that engagement and going above and beyond. And, and, and what I think is most exciting at the moment is when you look at public perception, when you look at the fantastic NGOs that are out there, when you look at government and the policy that's coming down the track, and you look at the appetite from caterers to all embrace this, that's that's an exciting proposition for what, for what lies ahead. Definitely. Thank you so much, Jeff, and for including all those really tangible examples. Claire, I think this would be a, a really great opportunity to get some insight from you, um, regarding the work that Corn's doing to help support the shift to more sustainable diets by providing really high quality, low carbon uh, meat alternatives, plant-based alternatives, and you know, you know, very much fitting in with what Jeff was saying around the marketing of those products, around providing viable, delicious alternatives. You know, what, what are you seeing from a sort of wider um, you know, policy shift in terms of is, is, are things helping to support you in that effort? Um, and also, you know, how um, responsive are the schools being in terms of you know, supporting, uh, you know, these more, uh, you know, these different products that sometimes there's a little bit of, a, of an acceptance issue for the children because they're unfamiliar. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think um, alongside it, the, the issues we've talked about from COVID in terms of, you know, it's raised the poverty issue, um, the health and well-being, it has also put sustainability, you know, really clearly on the agenda. I think we saw a massive um, rise in people's consideration of what they eat, um, and the impact that that has the planet, that kind of connection has really been made, which we kind of know um, from a lot of movements like the plastic movement, you know, once people made that connection of what you do with your coffee cup has an impact on the oceans around the world we live in, um, you start to see people's behaviour changed and and really um, the, the, the pupils in primary and secondary are kind of the perfect people for really leading the charge on that in terms of their desire and want and almost that meat-free is becoming part of their diet it's not necessarily something they see as an alternative or as a special menu as it's been and I think there is a little bit at the moment of a disconnect between the kind of policy uh, the way school meals can be um sort of created and the rules for them and the kind of desire for a different protein and a different kind of uh, way of eating. Um, but for us, it's always got to be about making that delicious food because I think, Jeff, you were talking about there, there, there are a lot of temptations, particularly as, as pupils get older, that they can go out there. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's making sure those menus are um, an option for them rather than letting them go out of the school gates. And I think some research we did said about 60% of pupils would eat more meat-free if they felt like they were dishes they knew or were a little bit more delicious. So I think the challenge is on for us all to kind of have a think about how we can do that because that's the bit, you know, if it's not an enticing dish, it doesn't really matter if it's got all the health in the world, it's got all of the sustainability, etc. You know, if people don't choose it, then we're not going to be moving that forward. Um, so for us, it was about creating ways as we just, you know, um, both Tom and Jeff have talked about and, you know, how we engage with pupils, um, not just when they're eating, but outside of that. So we've looked at a couple of concepts um, and working with partners like our friends there uh, from both the, um, the contract catering companies around um, concepts for secondary schools, uh, one based on high street favourites. So actually, we were like, why don't we meet this head on? <laughs> you know, if, if children want to go out there and eat those dishes, why don't we create those with a meat free, healthier alternative? Because actually, they're the flavours they know, they're the things their friends are eating. And I think that's the important thing as well is making things inclusive you know, so that it's not necessarily for pupils, it being that kind of special menu choice or an alternative, it's how do we make it inclusive on a menu? Uh, and that's for us, you know, again, about that marketing, keeping it, you know, a bit reminiscent of the look and feel of the high street, et cetera, um, you know, and giving it that slightly more modern look to dishes so that, you know, pupils are drawn to them. And then again, working on um, more education. One of the things that was quite interesting that came out of um, the pandemic was that was a shift towards um, a lot more uh, you know calmer meal times and and making because of the pre-ordering and the bubbles that there was a actually a, a sort of more enjoyable school for food environment in many cases 
Whereas there seems to be a shift since now that things have returned to normality in inverted commas in many schools, you know, things have gone back to being crazy and very long queues for that food, um, which is driving children away um, to potentially skipping lunch altogether or to finding those alternatives, um, which are potentially on the high street and not as healthy. You know, is there... Have there been any shifts in the way that people are operating to try and capture some of those gains uh, that were kind of adopted during COVID to to ensure that that that, that nutrition isn't missed by children not wanting to bother queuing or, you know, that they're going to divert somewhere else that's probably going to be less healthy? Um, You know, uh, Tom, did you have any views on that? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think, you know, we, we still have some clients that have maintained what I would call COVID standards now now that we're kind of off the back of it for, for the reasons you just mentioned that having food perhaps delivered to a classroom or another service point um, often leads to less trouble at break times. It's a calmer experience, a more controlled experience. So I think some of that will continue. I think what, one of the things that we've seen and, and queuing, I think, for anyone that works in school meals is is a perennial problem because you know, on one hand, schools talk quite liberally about, you know, this is very important, we want great food, but actually you've seen a reduction on average of, of the average meal times. So often you're just trying to feed more people in, in a smaller window. Um, perhaps one of the biggest shifts we, we, we've seen and we're in, investing in is pre-ordering. So kind of pre-COVID, a lot of our schools wouldn't countenance having digital devices in the schools. Um, there, there was a kind of no mobile phone policy. Whereas now we're seeing that that largely being relaxed in a lot of larger multi-academy trusts providing their pupils with tablets. Um, so it enables us to do things like pre-ordering. Pupils can order ahead, collect their meal from a fast track queue or a dedicated collection point. So it kind of takes the pressure off the main service, hopefully keeps them on site where ordinarily they might be tempted to go off site and perhaps cuts down a bit of the, the chaos that you often find in a traditional school lunch. Well, I think that sounds like an extremely valuable development because I know that it can be very common, especially uh, amongst perhaps the sporty kids who are desperate to go outside and kick a football around. You know, they don't want to waste half of their precious 40 minute break, you know, queuing for something and then having to wolf it down. I mean, Jeff, are you finding that, that, that many of your, your clients are supportive of sort of these uh, these mechanisms which are helping them to to get children the food more quickly so that they are encouraged to actually you know order it and eat it yeah yeah uh, i think i think what it does highlight is just the the breadth and range of different sites that exist within this space and sector and it's incredibly challenging to look at a, a, a sort of solution that will fix everything <laughs> or help everything because you know, even when you look at the, 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 the kitchen appliances that are across certain contracts, it varies fundamentally. And when you um, win a contract, you will inherit the, the, the sort of kitchen equipment they have. There may be a sort of certain capex spend within that. But when you're looking at the service that you need to deliver, it's got to have a little bit of flex to suit the school and the, and, and the requirements and the availability that's there. I think, I know, I know Miles touched on it sort of earlier, but... I think one of the biggest constraints on, on, on the sector at the moment is, is around funding. Um, if you look at some of the food price inflation that we're facing at the moment, and I saw a figure today that said it might reach 10 to 15% by the end of the year, and obviously driven by the certain geopolitical climate, there's certain categories that have sort of risen exponentially. Um, and, and, and then you take into consideration the ongoing labour inflation with you know, the national living wage rightly increasing again in April. But, but when you look at those figures um, uh, you know, in context, you'll see that over the past seven years, labour has increased by 42%. Um, over the same period, um, we've had significant increases in, 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 in uh, general inflation. I think CPIs increased by about 16.7% over the same period of time. The price for a universal infant free school meal, which is £2.34, increased 1.7% over that period of time. And we've got this sort of opposing forces of wanting to do the right thing and you know driving food standards and going above and beyond. And then this static sort of level of funding. Um, and I think actually now that we have a really clear directive from the government from their levelling up agenda in terms of tackling this and driving school food standards, 
And again, I mentioned it before, we've got lots of NGOs such as, you know, Bike Back, who are, you know, fantastic and driving the agenda around this as well. And, and there's a real need from caterers. That funding is, is actually quite restrictive at the moment. And we do need to sort of review that so that we can do all these fantastic things that are going to have a material impact on society in the long term. Miles, I, I, I was going to say, I think that you've, you will have some good insights to share on this. Yeah, um, Jeff, I absolutely agree. I think the day-to-day funding pressures that caterers in whatever you know, governance form they are, whether they're sort of in-house caterer, catering teams in schools or a local authority run catering team or, or you know, a private sector organisation team, the same inflationary pressures are coming to bear. Part of the work I'm involved in with the um, School Food Review Working Group that brings together um, organisations across the whole school food system uh, caterers and campaigners like Bite Back and um, head teacher and school business manager organisations. Um, we've been looking at not only the funding rates, um, but also the funding process and the funding system. And I think what we um, have recognised across from uh, school bodies to caterers to um uh, to, to food campaigners is an opportunity to improve the efficiency of the funding flow. Um, we know that in a competitive catering market, um, you know that, that, that there are instances where price will sometimes win out on a school food contract, and and if you know multi academy trusts have. Um, procured well and procured hard then they will have struck a you know a price sensitive deal with with caterers and then when you have those inflationary pressures that 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 comes increasingly crunch points um so i think there's the 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 opportunity now as you were saying jeff in the leveling up white paper announcements around schools being required mandated uh is the intention in the what white paper to report on what their school food policies and practices are and to show how the funding that has been allocated for school food is being spent to deliver the best nutritional outcomes for all children in their school is going to be a a strong opportunity to provide better transparency within the system and and in that way I think um there will be opportunities to ensure that the funding flow from that £2.34 universal infant free school meal funding, uh, but also, of course, the benefits related free school meal funding um, flows properly through the system and gets converted in the best way um, into good nutritional calories um, that all children are wanting to eat. You raise a really good point there, Miles, because one of the things that came up in the research previously was this whole um, need to reset the thinking around the value of school food so it's not just focused on the cost of that food. Um, So the question is, I suppose, how can caterers themselves support that shift in recognition so that we're supported for the social value they provide and we're not creating a race to the top uh, rather than, you know, racing to the bottom just being measured on price um you know Nikki do you have any thoughts on that I do yes um obviously the models within Scotland are are different in in England um for instance East Revshire Council where I'm based we're part of education so therefore the catering services deem very much as the part of the 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 service delivery to the children and young people so even from the example that in Foods can be used for geography. Foods can be used for maths. We let we bring pupils in to work with us within the kitchens. The the kitchen has in a way become an extended classroom. So, it, that food element therefore becomes not just about school meal service. It becomes about the the whole the whole full full day within school. Um, we deliver as. Tom and Jeff have said most councils in Scotland also do or have under the Better Eater Better Learning um, paper. We all have engaged with our children and young people and deliver cooking classes to try and 
engage uh, pupils within the school food. Getting pupil voice is really important. And I think that um, if we don't know what our children, young people are looking for, then we won't get the service right. Um, Assist FM has just re recently um, worked with the um, Scottish Poverty and Inequality Research Unit to do a, a get feedback from high school children uh, regarding what their thoughts are, the positive they've seen of COVID. Um, what, what, for instance, as Tom and Jeff was spoken about pre-order, we have pre-order apps. Most, a lot of councils in Scotland have just adopt, have now adopted a pre-order app, and that means people are getting exactly what we want. Um, the also the Scottish school food regs have been updated. So at the same time, right in the middle of COVID, this happens. So we're getting trying to find out from pupils how how they feel the changes to food regs have impacted on the school meal service and any ideas. And this, so the paper is giving us, once that's finished, um, the, the research paper is giving us information of how we can develop the catering service and progress to ensure that is a child and pupil led service rather than it being um, what we think is best. Uh, so I think that whole pupil voice is really, really important and sitting within education is really is, is a positive from my authority. It makes the doors open easier for me, um, whereas I think private contract caterers or other authorities that sit in separate departments, it makes life really, really hard. Um, at the same time, education also uses us frequently. So for instance, the holiday programme we've been running for 17 years in East End, um, we have... Um, deliver cooking classes and that and the children actually cook the meal for the holiday program which has become a part of the education so they they turn to us to to help and support uh, different programs uh, we also do a breakfast cart a uh, grab and go service which is fully inclusive but again it was an easy step forward for education because we're part of the department so i think the these programmes work well and helping support children. It, it always helps if the education doors open and you've got good communication with teachers and education to get the service delivery right for your pupils. That's fantastic. Thanks so much, Nikki. Claire, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, I think, Nikki, you're right there around pupils being um, engaging pupils beyond just the eating of food. I think, you know, the more we can kind of learn about where food comes from, uh, how to grow food, how to cook food, all of those programmes that can entice, you know, really encourage pupils um, and also just the impact they can make. We've kind of looked at working with schools on campaigns that link what, you, you know, the carbon savings you can make, for example, for choosing different and then actually actively showing that what they're doing, you know, that would how many miles in a school bus that would save or how many hours of powering a computer so people can see really tangible things. So again, you know, linking back to some of the earlier things around encouraging people to to make sure they stay around in the school and in the eating area and, and, and take their school meal is having that kind of wider perspective on the school meal, that it's not just feeding the children. There's an education and health and well-being part to that mentally as well as physically. And I think all of those programmes that are being run, whether that's kind of after school work, holiday hunger, you know, all of those elements, I think, you know, there's also that kind of engagement in the education system and bringing back that food focus that we've maybe lost a little bit that, you know, pupils are not as engaged in food as they used to be. Um, and, you know, really sort of driving that so that we get that kind of engagement in the new levelling up so that, you know, schools can see that, you know, what they're doing is having an impact. Thank you, Claire. And um, I, I think what's been really interesting is it's come up a, a lot uh, during the discussion already, but the really key and important role that collaboration plays in tackling all of these challenges, uh, both getting support from a policy level, but also, you know, day to day that all of these challenges um, are, are most effectively and efficiently met when all the different agencies are working together. So I sort of wondered... Um, uh, maybe Tom, if you might be able to give us some sort of insights on, on you know how you see collaboration is really helping you to tackle some of these issues around providing providing really good quality nutrition and also to help you get the funding that you need to do that. Yeah, I think. I mean, look, a, a lot. I think people have said a lot of these challenges are complex, aren't they? And you know, I think we'd be arrogant if we thought you know we we have all the solutions. I think the the approach we've we've tried to take at Sodexo is is just to work with a select number of identified partners that we feel can challenge us and add value to what we do. 
So we're working with, um, we've done work with Quorn, we're working with the World Wildlife Fund at the moment on a, a swap out programme to encourage um, children to swap from a traditional meat dish to a plant-based alternative. I mentioned the British Nutrition Foundation and, and a number of other smaller businesses that we think we part with long term that are credible in an educational setting but can help us develop programmes and policies. I'm not sure we're getting a massive amount of additional funding for that. I, I, I still think that's um, you know, a major sticking point as, as colleagues on the, the, the call have said really. I think I think we have a real challenge and it's probably a marketing PR challenge about how we um, you know, elevate the reputation of school meals and not, not just school meals, but what a whole package around school meals, food, suppliers, food education could look like. And, and I think when we get into that space, it stops becoming more about £2.34 a meal and more about you know representing really good value for money. Um, you know, in, in the majority of our business, we still rely on mum and dad putting their hand in their pocket to fund a school meal. So if, if you take £2.34, for example, per day, you know, if you have two children, it's over £23 a week, you know, in the middle of a cost of living crisis where, you know, we know the, the situation with inflation that, that Jeff mentioned, um, all the challenges around that, that. That's a tough ask, I have to say, for a lot of working parents. So... I think we need to work hard with partners and ourselves and our competitors, actually, to really um, demonstrate the value that we can bring around food in schools. Thank you, Tom. And Miles, from a policy perspective, what, you know, what pressure should operators be bringing to kind of get that recognition of we need more funds, we need more um, support to, to enable us to provide this food and, and to continue to do it with the other cost pressures that the the children's families are experiencing? So I think there's all opportunity for um, caterers working in the public sector to recognise that the role of the state in feeding vulnerable people, whether they're in prisons or in hospitals or in in our schools, um, that the state should be providing appropriate policies to ensure that all all those people can eat well um, uh, both for their own health and well-being but also for you know our, our planet's sustainability and well-being as well and um, for the sector to come together and um, demonstrate how reforms in procurement how reforms in funding, flows and funding reporting, how reform in uh, entitlement, you know, who should be entitled for to free um, food in the public sector or who, who should be paying um, for them, uh, to come together as a united voice with clear examples of what good practice can look like. Although, as Jeff said earlier in the podcast you know every setting is different in its delivery but there are clear principles in in place so i think um there's all opportunity to do that we know that uh the government still need to respond to the national food strategy and its white paper it was promised at the end of january we now hearing it's it's going to be may um several Campaigning organisations um, led by Sustain and the Food Foundation have called for a food bill so that um, a long-term uh, policy framework can be in place for government to report back on demonstrating how its role in a good food system is is, is playing out. Um, and, and the... Uh, sorry. So, so to summarise, I think the the opportunity for that cohesive voice from, you know, the catering sector um, to government on the opportunities for good reform, which can then uh, support, you know, a good, robust, efficient uh, public sector food system is uh, very timely, uh, very needed, but and I genuinely think is um, doable. 
Thank you very much, Mars. I think, um, Jeff, it would be really great to hear from you, you know, what you think in, in terms of, um, you know, you've given some really great examples of what's happening at Chartwells, but obviously, how do we get these pockets of good practice out into the wider, you know, arena so that or everyone's doing it, you know, across every business internally, but, you know, nationally as well? Absolutely. I mean, collaboration is is key to this. There's there's a real groundswell of emotion that's that's grown and uh, throughout the pandemic around sort of school food, um, and that's that's from just general public and general awareness. Um, but also, as I've mentioned, a number of NGOs. Then obviously we've got government, which from from one angle, um, and we've got we've got um, businesses. Uh, I think we need to sort of find some way to harness that energy and point it all in the same direction um, so that we can feel a, a sort of material impact on, on, on what we're trying to achieve. What, one thing I think which is a huge challenge, and Tom mentioned it as well, is trying to change the public perception and narrative around school food because there's a lot of fantastic frontline workers. Um, and I can speak with Chartwells and I'm sure all the other organisations here where people have been going to work day in, day out and trying incredibly hard um, to, to, to feed children, very passionate about what they do and doing a really good job. And actually, there, there's this sort of ongoing media narrative where, um, you know, people will sort of point the finger at certain school, school food dishes, which obviously aren't acceptable, but are isolated incidents. When we look at the scale um, of, of operations that are going on, I mean, we serve 1.6 million meals a week. And I think actually we should be doing a lot more celebrating those frontline workers and talking about the great work that is going on across the, the industry, um, as well as sort of sharing the best practice and working around that. Um, but as I said, th this feels like a really huge moment in time, a great opportunity within the sort of sector, within the industry um, to, 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 to share best practice and to sort of set the new sort of guidelines and expectations um, and, and go about changing that reputation um, proactively. Um, so it's a very exciting time. Um, I'm not sure if I answered your question. There, no, Amy. but that was. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I do feel there's lots of opportunities. Perfect. Well, actually, that, that brings me nicely. I've got a career of a politician. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings me very nicely to, to how I wanted to end the session, really, because I thought it would be nice to go around and perhaps for everyone to, to either give their an example that you've not already shared from within your um, experience of a best practice that you think um, would be really fantastic for others to adopt um, or perhaps, you know, you, for, to make a plea of, you know, what the thing that you think that everybody who's listening should be also doing themselves. So you could choose something uh, along uh, either of those two things. Um, Claire from Corn, perhaps if we start with you, with your sort of closing, uh, either you know sharing of a great practice or a suggestion, uh, you know, for your employment for for something an action for everyone to take. The, the thing from uh, my side would be uh, to think. Of, you know, obviously I come where Corn has you know a different perspective to some of the guys here around the real focus on meat free but I think I would sort of start with the leveling up paper exactly is to start to put meat free as part of the food offering rather than this kind of segregation special menu etc because it really is a, now a lifestyle and a behavior not a trend um, and it really is something that I think from a school meals perspective can really help deliver on all of the elements of health well-being etc it taps into what pupils want around sustainability but, you know, it's the plea for all of us to really then think about how we deliver that in the best possible way and think about kind of the solutions of those dishes so that pupils are going to find them, you know, delicious, interesting to eat, etc. And that, you know, school chefs, etc. are going to engage with when delivering. So it's not, some, you know, upskilling them, encouraging them around, you know, how easy and straightforward meat-free dishes can be so that we kind of really build it into the food offering as we kind of focus on this levelling up because it really is a part of that um, eating pattern for the sort of pupils of school age and beyond so we really need to make sure it's kind of building through from the fundamental policy areas all the way through then into practice into the delivery in schools. Thank you so much Claire. Nikki what's your um, you know your recommendation or your uh, best practice example? As I said Scotland's quite difficult to single out because we do share and because I as I've just said I re represent Assist FM and basically that's every authority in Scotland share ideas because what we do is we feed off each other to create a better service across Scotland rather than uh, ind individual authorities um, 
working away on their own. So we have the, the sharing model very strong at the moment. Um, and also, again, in Scotland, we're in a situation where by the end of the current parliamentary term, we will have free lunch in early years, free lunch in all primary school children, free breakfast for all primary school children, free milk for all early years and primary school children. So our model is very different from um, England. And also currently with Assist FM, one of the things that we're doing that's sharing uh, and I think this is where it's very important to make sure everybody's service is good. We're, we're creating a national recipe book and it's focusing on that meat-free agenda um, recipes that have been tried and tested across Scotland. And we've been working with Claire's team um, quite closely. And it's, it's about not everybody has resource to have nutritionists and chefs. So if one authority has one resource then and they can try and test it and a chef can come up with a new recipe then that gets access to all authorities to use across Scotland and I think that that sharing agenda is so important and we're now Assist FM's now currently working with LASA and we're going and we're working across uh, all nations and so the the sharing of information will hopefully get bigger and that'll make only all that can do is benefit the catering services across the the, the piece rather than everybody doing individual systems. Brilliant. So there's really good learnings for, for everybody else across the UK there to really share, 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 learn from each other and create those uh, sort of shared resources that everybody can use to to, to make uh, sure that everybody can access those databases of recipes and things like that. Tom, uh, uh, you're in the hot seat next. <laughs> Look, I'd agree 100% with what Nikki said. Sharing and collaboration, even whether it's between competitors, is still an important thing. And I think probably one of the most positive things that came out of COVID. I think the share that I'd bring is we, we've launched um, in one multi-academy to us carbon and labelling. So just picking up on, on what Claire said. So our main meals are now traffic light on, on their kind of CO2E equivalent. And that's driving some really interesting behaviours in the school. Really great to see the children understanding the choices that they make in the restaurant, what impact they could have on the environment, especially as we kind of equate it to, you know, number of miles travelled in a in a diesel car, for example. So I think that's the one thing that they that we're pushing forward on to give a better level of information to our young consumers to make them make better choices around the environment and what they may choose to eat. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Jeff, what's the view from, from yourself and Chartwells? Brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with what's been, been sort of said already. I think that education piece is absolutely key. And and one topic we haven't discussed, which is a rarity for footprint in great detail today, is sustainability, which I think, again, is absolutely fundamental to, 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 to the education piece, which we talked about today. Um, we actually had a letter um, from a, a year five class in Bristol asking about what our palm oil policy was as a business, which I thought was just fantastic and really amazing to see actually there's there's lots of optimism for the future of this country when people are engaged on topics such as that. Um, so I think, I guess, you know, luckily as a business, we've done a lot of work in the background on that, but you never really think that the, uh, the sort of end user would be coming and asking you um, around that from that particular audience. But I think that, that element of listening to pupils um, uh, is, is absolutely key um, and also calls for much optimism as we look forward in the future um, because they are again engaged around sustainability, they are engaged around healthy eating. We just need to look at how we how we bring them into the conversation and, and, and innovate around them. So hopefully that's an optimistic note to end on. Perfect. And Miles, perhaps you could end, you know, from a from a really strong policy perspective on your call to action to everybody listening. You know, how can they help support these vital underlying policy shifts that we need to see uh, to ensure that the school catering system, you know, has the funds and the support and the, the framework to ensure our young people get the nutrition and the and their lovely supportive life skill uh, developing environments and the sustainable, um, you know, diet information, you know, all of these wonderful things that we've discussed today, you know, what's your big um, kind of recommendation to help that policy be in place? Uh, thank you, Amy. Uh, my big policy recommendation is give kids clipboards um, and I will explain. So 10 years ago, when uh, the school food plan was published, there were three driving principles that were seen to make up a great school food culture. First was 
strong leadership. Well, we have seen over the last two years how school leaders are really beginning to understand the value of a good school food culture and how that supports the health and well-being of pupils in schools, but also the wider ethos and culture of the school. We've talked about the second principle of the uh, school food plan today about taking a whole school approach and ensuring that all the different players come together to understand what it is that makes um, good school, school food culture in a particular setting and the role of the informal and formal curriculum in supporting good eating habits and good food production. And the third principle of the school food plan was see through the eyes of the child and give children what they want. And Nikki talked earlier about some great work that's going on, but I, I see it up and down in many different schools and local authorities and catering companies where the, um, sorry, can I just start again? I realise the uh, phone was just ringing. Uh, sorry. And the th I've seen up and down the country in many different schools where children and young people are being actively not only asked of their opinions but actively involved in co-designing and delivering a great school food culture and the reason why i said right at the beginning kids and clipboards there's a great story of blackpool local authority when they went out to do some monitoring and accountability elements around getting schools to report uh, on their school food culture they got the children in those schools with clipboards, with a checklist to go and do that work. And the engagement uh, that resulted between the catering teams, the school leaderships and the pupils in co-designing and understanding what it actually means to have a great school food offer was really strong uh, and a great example of, you know, taking that whole school approach. That was a fabulous uh, example to end on, Miles. I think I've got to thank you all so much for your time and your insights today. I've really loved the way you've all peppered uh, in so many real-life examples of tangible uh, initiatives that are really bringing healthier diets, you know, accessing those children, monitoring the children that are falling through the gaps, using technology to um, to reduce cues, create more pleasant uh, school environments, and, and, of course, to you know, feedback and, and push for that policy uh, uh, support and funding that we all need. So thank you so much again to to all of you. Um, if, without you, of course, today wouldn't have been possible. So thank you to Nikki Joyner, Chair of Hands on Hungry Assist FM, Miles Bremner, CEO of Bremner Consulting and Senior Associate Consultant Think, Jeff Campion, Head of Communication Chartwells, Claire Roper, Head of Marketing and Innovation Food Service Quorn, and Tom, uh, Head of Mar Marketing Director, Sodexco. Sodexco, I can't say Sodexco today. What's wrong with me? But thank you very much, all of you, for your time and insights. I've really enjoyed the session and um, it really look forward to uh, you know continuing this debate in our next podcast, which is coming up uh, in the series soon. But thank you all again. And... Uh, you know, let's let's all work together to create the best uh, school food that we can. And I thank you all for the amazing service that you do in that regard so far.